I love that part. you feel that way when I'm done. Um, okay, the disclaimers. Uh, wait, wait, I have to remember all this. Okay, breathe. Okay. I want to thank Anthony for asking me. I'm really flattered by that. And um, Kanan for picking me up. And uh, Rusty, who's my personal assistant, for buying me hair dye today because I didn't want to have gray hair with you. And I'm not telling anybody my age, but probably you'll figure it out and it's a little shocking, actually. Um, okay, did I remember everybody? Oh, and uh, Missy for saving my life this morning when I was really fucked up. And I said a prayer that I wouldn't curse. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm originally from New York, and cursing is just the way of being emphatic. And uh, I didn't even know that it was, like, a bad thing until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I'm not convinced it is, but okay, I'm going to try to, you know... Anyway, okay, my lame little story. Um, I was born a long time ago in New York City. <laughs> and uh, my parents were Holocaust survivors. And um, my father was the hero of the family. And my father got my mother and three kids out of a, a ghetto concentration camp and swam 13 miles down the river. And if it sounds like an HBO special, it sounded like that to me too. But if you knew my father, you'd you would have believed it. And um, he was a man of his word. He had enormous honor. So he was actually extraordinary. I don't, I don't, didn't get any of that. But um, <laughs> my parents, supposedly the story is I didn't even know they were in the Holocaust. I was fractured from a very early age um, and self-centered. You know, I'm like the kind of person, <laughs> I don't like me, but I'm all I ever think about. And, uh, and, um, he, uh, I think my mother's, or there are people in my family that say that there were five kids, and some people say there were four, but he, he they came out with three. So um, somewhere along the line, I learned about all this. And, um, oh, before I go into my little lame spiel about my life, I want to welcome anybody who's relatively new. It's hard to save your life when you hate yourself, and if you're new, you hate yourself. And um, I know because I was new a lot. And it's tough to take a seat with all of this camaraderie and all this joy when you feel like you're going to die inside. And uh, for those of you who we were in the car yesterday talking about this, for those of you that are sitting here tonight and are contemplating suicide, I have something to tell you. And, and I don't know why I'm talking about this today, but I'm talking about it. And if you're contemplating it, um, I just want you to know that you'd be killing the wrong person. Because this is not, um, this is not who you're going to be if you stay sober. And uh, if you stay sober, so I highly recommend that you don't commit suicide. And I highly recommend that you stay in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I highly recommend, um, hopefully if you're new, that you came in and you, you came in with desperation because I think if you come in with desperation, you got a much better chance. Okay, there's my disclaimer for today. And I've been wanting to cry all day. I actually have been, because I had a, a really rough morning, and it doesn't matter how long you're sober. Um, I, didn't, I have not arrived. I'm sober. I got 
My sobriety date is October 5th, 1985, and I have not arrived. I need Alcoholics Anonymous as much as I needed it when I first came. You know, I, I, I've landed, but I have not arrived, and I will never arrive because I'm a drunk. And um, I was at a meeting in Seattle one time, and there was a guy in a wheelchair, and he was celebrating 26 years, and I'll never forget this. The things that I have heard in Alcoholics Anonymous have completely overwhelmed me. They have transformed me and changed my life. Simple things that people have said. I've gone from in a moment of wanting to die into a very same moment wanting to live because of one, what one individual has said at a particular meeting. And this guy was celebrating 20, I think it was 26 years, and he said, he said, I have the same disease today that I had when I was living under the bridge. I had the same disease today that I had when I was drinking. I had the same disease today at 26 years that I had at 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, and 20 years. I've changed. My disease hasn't. And that's my story. I have changed, but my disease has not. And it got me this morning, and then I talked to another drunk, and it eased it up. Anyway, so my little lame story about my family. Um, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, and... Um, I didn't recognize how fractured I was as a, as a person until I would, I would see my friends that I knew from high school years later and they would start talking to me and they would say, remember Mrs. Jones down the street? And I don't fucking remember Mrs. Jones because I was self-centered and I don't remember anything. I just remember being consumed by awkwardness and fear and terror, terror just terror. And... Um, I functioned, I functioned real well in like a, a small, like a group of people and um, where I felt safe. And um, one of the reasons I love Alcoholics Anonymous is I feel safe in Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, um, so my family, uh, I was raised like you would, you know, I don't blame them for my alcoholism. They were, they were terrific, they were terrific people but they were horrific parents. That's just the truth. They didn't have anything left. Once they went through the war and were devastated, my mom came from a family of nine uh, kids and two were left. My father came from a family of 13 and three were left. Everyone else was murdered. So they were completely, you know, overwhelmed and devastated and traumatized and my mother was really, really depressed and then when she was 44 years old after the war and they were coming to America and they didn't speak English, my mother got pregnant with me and it was probably the last thing in the world that she needed was another mouth to feed and I did not feel unwanted. That's not what I felt growing up. I did not feel unwanted. I was raised like you would raise a dog and uh, you, that you love the dog and you love the dog like this. You feed the dog and you always take the dog to the vet. But the dog has to be a good dog. The good dog has to sit and obey. And as long as I would sit and obey, everything was fine. But I could not disobey. I could not show any emotion. I could not participate. It was just, you know, go to your room and keep quiet and get straight A's and shut up because we've been through the war. But I didn't know what they were talking about. And I have two sisters and an older brother. And I didn't spend any time with them because they're 17, 18, and 20 years older than I am. So I was a flower girl at my sister's wedding when I was like five. So I, I was raised as an only child. And, and I didn't know I was crazy. I didn't think I was crazy. I didn't, you know, I'm, 
I didn't seem crazy. Um, I just felt very different always. And I think that it doesn't really matter if you're a goody-goody or a baddie-baddie in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't, I don't care if you're, like me, a people pleaser where your survival depends on the pr approval of other people and you'll sell your soul down the river for their approval. I don't think if you're like that or, you're, or, or if you're full of tattoos and you're doing time in the joint, it's the same fucking thing. It's, ex it's the opposite ends of the same stick, and the stick is, see me. See who I am. Notice me. I need someone to acknowledge my existence. And I didn't feel that my existence was acknowledged. And I didn't know this when I was growing up. So what I did is I became the ultimate everything. I wanted and needed. It wasn't even I wanted. I needed their attention. So I went to goody-goody school. So I became, you know, student, first woman student council president and varsity cheerleading captain and math club president and top ten in the class and blah, 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 blah. Because I thought the more I would do, like a do machine, the more I would do, then eventually maybe they would pay attention to me. And um, I have a little, I, I have a little, um, a little, I have these little notes in, in, in my office at home, and one of the little notes says, they'll never change. I like that. I like to remember that. So um, my mother was, um, had been an actress before the war, and she loved the arts. And, oh, and we were poor, but I didn't feel poor. See, this is one of those things. I didn't, I didn't, feel, I didn't know I was poor. I was too self-centered to realize it. I, I really was. I didn't get it. I didn't compare myself. I was so consumed with my own emotional content. I was so consumed with how I felt. I was so consumed with my own awkwardness. I was so consumed with me that I didn't see what you had. That's, that's the plus side. Like when you get sober and you find out how self-centered and narcissistic you really are, there's like a plus side to it too. And the plus side is I didn't live in a comparative state. I didn't know that you were in a better car or had a better house. I was too self-centered. All I wanted in my life was to feel good, and I wanted everyone to be responsible for that, or anyone, or it really didn't matter. It didn't really matter. Whatever. I needed to be fixed. I just needed to be fixed, and I did, because I was broken. So I did need to be fixed. And, um, and alcohol and drugs fixed me. Fixed me good, too, for a long time. Anyway, so I'm in this home, and, uh, and I'm, in, I'm going to school in New York City, and, um, and I get in with the wrong crowd. I mean, I don't know. My girl, This is a long time ago. My girlfriend's 11 years old. I'm in fifth grade, and she's shooting heroin. I don't know. That's, you know. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I don't, you know. I'm dorky, too. Very dorky. So, um, <laughs> so they pull me out. My parents pull me out, and they put me in upstate New York in this small school. And, and um, you know, it, I don't know if it was mom and apple pie. I don't know anything. I just know that I was driven to get attention. And, you know, my parents loved me, but I didn't feel it. I know that they loved me today, but I did not feel it. And I was consumed when I, with hatred for them for many, 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 many years. And I've been to therapy because I'm nuts. 
So, and I've stayed in therapy <laughs> because I love to talk about me. But anyway, that's not even, that's not even the point. And I did not underst- I did not get relief from my relationship with my mother until I was in the therapist's office. I don't even know why I'm talking about this because who knows. Until the therapist said to me one time, was your mother, when she was in the concentration camp, was she raped? And I was in my 30s by that time. And I had never considered, not once, not one time when I was drinking or using, not once did I consider what had happened to them. I did not have the capacity to love. I did not develop the capacity to care about another human being until I was seven years sober. I did not have the capacity when I got sober to go to the supermarket alone until I was three years sober. And I didn't go to the mall for seven years. And I'm Jewish and we're supposed to shop. (laughs) I could not go by myself. I did not come in the way a lot of, I'm, I'm the, you know when they say grave emotional and mental disorders, I just raise my hand. I come from the grave and mental and emotional disorders group. Grave mental and emotional disorders group. And not everybody does. Some people just have a drinking and using problem. I have a drinking and using and mental problem. And I have a psychiatric list the mile long. And it doesn't matter because the longer I stay sober, the more I think it's acute alcoholism. The longer I stay sober, the more I realize it's acute alcoholism. Anyway, so my little measly, lame story is, so my mom, we don't have, so we're poor, except there's food, so I don't know we're poor, and there's not enough money to buy me a piano, so she takes me to dance class, and and I loved it, I excelled in it, and I loved dancing, and I became a professional dancer, blah, 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 and I loved dancing because it was fantasy, and I love fantasy. I love booze, and drugs, and men and fantasy, and booze, and drugs, and fantasy, and booze, and drugs. I had to sort of get, you know, at the end it sort of was just booze and drugs and fantasy because there was really no room for anyone else in the picture. And I don't like sharing, and my drug of choice is more, so, you know, that's how we end up, you know. When I think about I, I think, you know, I think back to the way it was, and I, I am overwhelmed sometimes when I stand up here. I am the last person that I would have thought would have gotten sober. And I was the last person that a lot of people thought would get sober. So you never know. Anyway, so my mother took me to ballet class and I loved it and I wanted to be a dancer and la 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 and I excelled in school and la 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 la. And um, and I was really ugly too. I had this huge nose and it was sort of like hard to be popular and ugly but I managed and the way I did it was I did, no, it's really, it's like the clowns in the class. I developed this over-exaggerated personality, perfect for speed, vodka, and show business. It's like the formula. You know, this big personality that would walk in the room and probably suck up all the air, especially when I was high. And um, I loved being high. Did I tell you that? Oh, I loved it. I loved not feeling. I can't stand to live in my own skin for a minute. This is not not today, but when I first got sober, do you know how I know I'm a drunk and a junkie? I know that I'm a drunk and a junkie, not because of how much I drank, not because of the hospitals I landed in, not because of how much I used, not because the lengths I went to. That's not how I know. I know that I'm a drunk and a junkie by the way I feel sober. 
That's what tells me I can't, I couldn't stand sobriety. I can't stand that feeling of awkwardness and self-loathing and despair and depression and completely consumed with negative feelings and, and I'm a piece of shit and I can't even hear what you're saying. You can't even get through to me because I'm so preoccupied with what's going on right up here. That's how I know I'm a drunk. Not because I drink. A lot of people drink a lot. They stop at some point. I sort of didn't do that part. But, but still, that's not, that's not how I know. I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to... I didn't want to live. I didn't want to feel. I wanted, I didn't, I thought my feelings like lived by themselves. I didn't know that my feelings came from my thinking. I, I didn't know any of this. I thought that, that I was just one big ball of feeling and it felt horrible and I didn't understand the point of it and why bother. And my hold card was the suicide card. That was my hold card. Anyway, so I had this big nose, and I was really ugly, but I still was running up at the prom, and la, 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 and I had a nose job, and, uh, which was a really good idea. And I was really afraid. You know, I have to watch the time, because one time I got up to speak, and 35 minutes into it, I'm still in fourth grade, so I have to be a little bit, which wasn't that interesting, Mrs. Bailegard's class. Anyway, no, no, that was third grade. I'll think Mrs. Glick. That's who was, I remember all my, all my, all my teachers in... Because of the, I, I, when looking back, I always thought, what didn't I remember? And what did I remember? And I remembered all the teachers when I went to school upstate and none in New York City, none. I don't remember any of the classes. Same year, same time. And I think it's because, I just realized this now, I think it's because I felt they cared about me. So I think that's the reason. Anyway, so I am now, um, so I get a scholarship to Delphi University as a dance major, blah, 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 blah. And I'm on the campus, and my parents drop me off. And this is really kind of all very boring. It's sort of a boring story. It's not very dramatic. You know, nobody beat me, although I used to wish they did. I would try to taunt them to beat me, which they didn't do because they were nice people. I wanted some kind of attention, and I, and I, thought, I thought if I could just if they would just give me some kind of attention, even if it was negative, it was better than what I was getting, which was zip. Um, so I go to school, and my parents drop me off, and um, I used to, you know, I learned English while they were learning English, so I did a lot of, uh, I tried to do what I think are adult things to help them while they were, you know, while they were trying to do business, and my father was a really hard worker, and he... <laughs> He held down three jobs, and he lived to be 91, and he still ran his own business, and he was, he was an extraordinary man. And um, so I, I land on this campus, right? I, I, I land on the campus, and, and they drop me off. They don't know what to do, so they just drop me off and leave me with my little suitcase, and I have no idea what to do or where to go because I have no skill level because I've been – in this school system, and I only know, like, where to go in a small little area. I can't get out of me. And I go, to, I go to school, and I get this great roommate, and I'm a dance major, and I can't go to class, and I become excruciatingly depressed. And, and I don't know it's depression. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to school, and I, but I'm still good at making friends. And the reason I'm good at making friends is I have to make friends because my survival depends on it. My survival depends on you liking me. I can't live if you don't like me. And so I do everything 
so you will like me. And I'm very good at it. I'm one of the best actresses you'll ever see. I convince you that I care. Everyone. My parents, my family, the men, everyone, the teachers. I don't have the capacity to care, but I act like I do. I've been doing that all my life. I just act and you believe me. And if you're unfortunate enough to fall in love with me, you're going to get really burnt because I leave a trail of blood, because I use you up and spit you out. I use you and then I don't need you anymore and I step over you and I keep on trucking because that's who I am. That's who I really am. Those are the things that I've learned in sobriety about myself. And uh, some of them are not pretty. They're not pretty at all. My sponsor used to say to me, Minnie, the truth will set you free. Click. After a couple of years of that, I used to think, doesn't she fucking know anything else to say? The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. I said, get a new script. But it's the truth. The truth will set you free. In Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll see a lot of people come in, and they're very image-oriented. They're very image. They have to look good. So I'm going to tell you something. You can save your ass or your face, but you can't save both of them. So I suggest to you that when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, just be who you are. If you feel bad, say you feel bad. If you hate it, say you hate it. Take the risk and tell the truth and save your life instead of seeking the approval of the people sitting next to you. Because it's been my experience that if you don't, you'll die from this disease. And I bury a lot of people because I've been sober a long time. And I hate it. I hate that my girlfriend got her arm chopped off four months ago from shooting heroin. I hate it. I hate that she's been trying to get sober for ten years. I hate it. I hate it. I hate that she puts her relationship with someone ahead of her sobriety and she doesn't know it's killing her. I hate it. And if you're looking for a sponsor, find one that cares more about your life than your feelings. Your friends can care about your feelings. Your sponsor's got to care about your life. Because there has to be somebody that tells you the truth. Somebody's got to tell you the truth or you'll die. And dying doesn't, doesn't seem like a bad option, probably because you're young. Didn't seem like a bad option to me, so I'm assuming it didn't seem like a bad option to you. <laughs> anyway, so I go to school, and I feel uncomfortable, and I can't go to class, and la, 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 la. So I start working at bars. And I didn't have my, I didn't, I didn't use when I was young. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I didn't have my first drink until I was 18 years old. And I, my first drink was vodka and orange juice. It was my first. It was middle. It was next to the last. It was the last. It was the last again. It was the last again. It was the last again. That was the drink. I don't like the way it tastes. I am a horrific drunk. I drink. I pass out. I throw up on your feet. I end up in places that I don't know. I'm, it's awful. So I learned the wonderful world of narcotics to combine the drinking with. Because if you take enough speed with drinking, then you could just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink way more than anybody else. And you could just talk and talk and talk and talk way more than anybody else. And you, can, you too can clean your VHS with a Q-tip for three days. Now, I don't know about you, that's what I did. Or you can go to the carpet. We can go to the carpet. I was in the bathroom once in one of the hotels in Vegas. I realized this. We locked the doors because everybody, everybody, something happened. The room moved. I don't know. Something got jacked up and everybody, you know, we're snorting and it all went over the floor. And so it doesn't matter that it's on the bathroom floor. You close the door and you crawl on your hands and knees and you snort because that's what you do. That's, I don't know what you did, but that's what I did. And so I go to school and I start working at this bar and I became a go-go girl. 
I don't, you guys don't even probably remember, don't even know what Go Go Girls are. It doesn't matter. It's whatever it is. It's <laughs> listen. It's shaking your tits. That's what it is. Now you now you call it different things. It goes from Go Go dancer to this dancer to stripper, but it's basically the same thing. And 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 you make money, and then you can you know, and then you could supply your own habit because I don't want to depend on anybody else because my habit's growing really 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 fast. And one night I was with my girlfriend, and she and I said to her.、Um, We can't get back in the dorm. I'm still trying to go to school. I don't know how. I don't. I don't. I don't remember any of the teachers. I don't remember any of that. And I said, I, I said to her. She said, Oh, don't worry. You know, don't, don't. Just go down and stay with my father. He lives in the West Village in New York, and we were out on the island. He lives in the West Village. Go stay with him. I'll tell him you're coming. It'll be 3:30 in the morning. I'll stay. She was working at a different place. I'll stay in another place, and then in the morning I'll come and pick you up. And I said, Okay. So at 3:30 in the morning, ding dong, and this man answers. Tall, thin, looks like between Peter O'Toole and Rod McEwen. It's okay if you don't know who those people are either. That's all right too. And、um, tall, blonde, you know, sort of sophisticated. You know, here I am. I'm like a punk, right? And、um, he answers the door, and I'm like stunned by him. I, I don't know why. And he was so kind, and he gave me two orange pills. And they were vitamins. Why do I remember that? I don't know why. That's what I remember. I can't remember blocks of my life, but I remember that he handed me two orange multiple vitamins, and、uh, and I was in love. And、uh, why is that? I don't understand. I've never understood why that was funny. I you're like I didn't that happen to you? Did you just like across the room and that was it? I I'm I'm busy. I don't have a lot of time to spend. I you know I got. Drugs to take and deals to make and things to do and things to drink and、uh, we got to speed up this thing and、uh, I was in love and there were some problems,、um, <laughs> just a few. <laughs> One problem was he was my girlfriend's father. It was just girlfriend's father. The other was he was gay. The other was he was in a long-term committed relationship with another man. Doesn't stop me. I am not stopped by anything. And the part that I forgot to tell you is, I always get what I want. I don't know about you. I don't know how you landed here, but I get what I want. I didn't get to Alcoholics Anonymous because I didn't get what I wanted. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous because I got exactly what I wanted. So you, gotta, you sort of have to stop and think, what is it that she wanted? Because, well, I wanted him, and.、Um, And I started hanging out with him. I, we left school. We got an apartment with four girls. I started hanging out. We started running and gunning the clubs of New York. I started dealing、uh, drugs to all the gay clubs in New York with four guys on motorcycles, with car- packing weapons, with ripped guns. You know, I am terrified of everything. I can't go to the groceries. I'm like afraid everybody's looking at me. But when I'm loaded. I am fearless, and I would rather be fearless than loved. Love doesn't fucking hold a candle to fearless. Fear stops me. I can't do anything. I can't say anything. I can't confront you. I can't speak the truth. I can't tell you what I need. I can't tell you what I want. I can't tell you what I think of you. I can't tell you shit because I'm I'm scared. Love's nice, but fearless. Are you kidding me? I can do anything when I'm loaded, anything, and I'm not afraid of Jack. Nothing. 
you give me that bottle of vodka and the methamphetamine and throw some cocaine somewhere in there, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not afraid to do or go or say anything. But you take any one of those things away, and I can't get out of the closet. So, you know, hands down, hands down I want to use and drink. And I staged a suicide, and I didn't know much about pills then. That wasn't my drug of choice at the time. I, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. And I almost died. It was supposed to be staged for attention. And I, I nearly died, and uh, the bottom line is uh, I married him because I got what I wanted. And um, I'm going to tell you something. I was speaking. I was sober a long time. I was sober in 1993. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. I think five, like seven, 16, 17, or 18 years, and I'm speaking at this Camp Potosi, this camp out, and I'm up there, and all of a sudden, it occurs to me. This is like 17, 18 years sober. It occurs to me. I never could think, why did he marry me? Like I couldn't, and then I realized, at 17 or 18 years sober, I was bait. I was young. I was hot when I was young. And he was getting older. And so I was bait for his boyfriends. And I didn't realize that it's until 17 or 18 years, because had I realized it one minute earlier, I might have had to blow my brains out. That's why. So when you take the steps and you think you've arrived... You've taken them to the best of your ability to that point. You'll be back. <laughs> oh, oh, you'll come back. Because you'll remember and you'll be able to live with it. You'll remember and you'll be able to live with it. Because one minute before that, I don't know if I could have lived with that information. But when it came out of my mouth, I was okay. My husband and I had a very tempestuous relationship. He had... A, a guy that he was really hot for, and, and that guy really liked me, and that's why I came into the picture, and it doesn't matter, and that guy ended up marrying my husband's daughter. It gets, it's very, it's like a bad soap opera. It makes Desperate Housewives look like a starter set. And, and, and I was in it, and it was fueled by booze drugs. And I, people used to call my husband and say, what is she doing? And he says, I don't know. Her nose is in the bag. Because that was the era of that. And I was at, you know, Studio 54 was nothing. It was a starter set. And, uh, and I lived during the time of Warhol, and don't look it up in the books. And, um, and I was just, uh, I partied hard, and I didn't care. And um, I would be on the stoop. In a snowstorm, and the door would be locked, and I couldn't get in because my husband was with this man, and I would accept that because I didn't think I was worth anything, and la, la, la. And, and, and you know, none of this. Um, and my husband uh, was a paranoid schizophrenic. He was a, a Shakespearean director, and he was brilliant, and he was kind, and he was loving, and he was like my mom and dad all rolled into one despite all of this, but he was a paranoid schizophrenic and it didn't come out until one day I, we were living in Brooklyn and I came home and he was in his underwear playing with dog shit telling me that he was Jesus Christ and I put him in an institution and I put him in Kings County and it's a horrific place, it's awful, it's like, 
It's where one person is shooting in the corner and the other person's playing with a gun and the other person is peeing on your foot and it's just for the criminally insane. It's just horrid. And uh, it began like a spiral of a couple of years where I would, he would be institutionalized and I was just running and gunning and running and gunning. On, and one night I was uh, out partying out the island and uh, it was Christmas and I decided not to spend that Christmas with my husband. And blah, 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 blah. my husband hung himself. And uh, I... Um, I didn't kill him, but I'm going to tell you something. I didn't add to the quality of his life either, and I have to live with that. And I am not a goody-goody in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't think you get to clean every fucking thing up that you ever did. I think that you do service, and that's what cleans it up. I can't take back anything that I did or didn't do with him because he's gone. But in service, if I help somebody else, maybe... Maybe that means something. And uh, uh, I just used that as an excuse to keep on running and gunning. I ended up in Vegas doing shows and uh, staying high. And, uh, and I ended up uh, ODing in Reno. And um, I was such a good actress that I convinced everybody that it was the altitude. They went, oh, my God, it's the altitude. You know, this is one bottle of vodka and I don't know how many bags of cocaine later backstage. And, and, um, and by this time, I need, I, need to be, I, need, I need somebody to support my habit because I'm not capable of supporting it myself. And so I become mistress to this very powerful man, very nice man. You know, I... I, I uh, I feel bad for people that fall in love with drunks. Like I went, ah, the speakers today were great, and Champ was wonderful yesterday, and uh, I needed the meeting, so I'm so glad I went. And I went to hear the Alan on speaker today, and I just, I just thought, oh my God, I, I, we just rip through people's lives. We just leave a trail of blood and see a baby. I mean, it's just. And this guy fell in love with me, and I'm, you know, we're on the. And I had, I had the life that everybody thinks they want. I had the life that, that everybody dreams about. I had a contract at Universal Studios as an actress, and I lived in a million-dollar house, and I had all these diamonds, and I hated diamonds at the time, and I didn't like jewelry. And I had a Rolls Royce, but I was so high I could never drive it because I don't like to have good things. I'm not the kind of person that likes to show off. I don't like that because I need you to like me, and I, you're not going to like me with that stuff. I'm the kind of person that goes to a, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I put a hole in my stocking so you'll like me because I'm smart, like you're smart. We're smart. Drunks and junkies are very, very, very smart. So we manipulate. So I will make you think that I'm less than because I know you'll like me better, and you know what? I'm right. When I'm less than, you do like me better. But at some point, I can no longer survive that. At some point, I can no longer be the victim, even though you really like me when I am. Can't do it. I'm going to die behind it. And uh, so this, you know, this poor guy, and I have, you know, blah, blah, I have everything, you know, the home and the this. I don't even like all that shit. And I have, you know, I have a house. He gets me a house. You know, this is like when you're a mistress. He gets me a house with a pool table in the kitchen. I don't play pool. I... <laughs> And I have four bedrooms, but they're all closed because the boogeyman is coming because of the paranoia is starting. So I can't live there. I can only live in my bedroom with the bottles underneath and in the kitchen. And I can't go to the other rooms because I think there's spooks in there. And, you know, you know all the shit that happens to us when, you know, just the stuff that happens to us. And uh, 
I uh, had a girlfriend when I was when I was dancing, and she uh, she said to me, I, "I want you to meet my husband." And uh, I said, "Okay, I, you know, I'm high. I don't I'll go anywhere doing." And she introduced me. I went home with her, and she introduced me. Her husband, her husband's name was he died sober. His name was Richard Riley, and uh, he was an extraordinary man. And he spent uh, three hours talking to me. And I think he pointed to the book. I don't know. I don't remember because she was not a drunk and they had wine in the house. And uh, I drank two bottles of his wine and I told him that I wasn't an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. And he, I, you know, you know how that, you know, the status. Little status there. I love, I love the people, you know what I love? I love the people that, like, come into Alcoholics Anonymous and they say, you know, I didn't want to be alcoholic. Let me tell you something. Alcoholic was a step up for me. I was looking at spending the rest of my life in a loony bin. I was twisted. I couldn't put sentences together. I was unemployable. I went to meetings in my pajamas. I sat and rocked back and forth in my closet. I went to the shrink three times a week in the first two years on credit because he felt so bad for me. I made, I was... First job I got, sober this last time. I went from this monstrous to career, career to this. I worked for this guy in a telemarketing place, and I answered phones, and he called me cunt. And I made $167 a year, and I took it from him, right, because he didn't harass me and because he let me go to meetings. And I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I never know when I get up here, like, what's going to come out, which is, I think, one of the reasons I get really scared, too. But anyway, that same, that same guy years later, I had directed and choreographed a nice show, and it was playing at a hotel, and I bumped into him at an airport. I was eight years sober, and he came up to me, and he said, I'm so sorry for how I, what, how I spoke to you. And I said, that's okay. You want some tickets? <laughs> I did. And he said, why would you take it? And I said, because you let me go to AA. And he said, I didn't know what AA was. I said, you didn't know, but you let me out early. So he may have called me cunt, but he saved my life. And eight years later, I got to see it. Anyway, listen, I have to pinch myself when I'm sitting up here when people do the countdown because I'm so impacted by people getting sober because I know how hard it is. And I'm so impacted when people have a day or two and they're able to step up, because I would not have been able to. I was the person that got sober and sat in the room, and I had to sit where the coffee was or near the bathroom, because if I sat over there and the coffee was there, I couldn't walk to get the coffee, because I thought you were watching me. And I'm not, I'm not that nuts. I knew you weren't, but that's how I felt, and I was catatonic. I couldn't move. So I made sure at meetings that I sat near the bathroom or near the coffee, because I didn't want to walk across. And this didn't go away. Very, this, none of this shit that I'm telling you went away quickly. None of it. Slowly. Very, very slowly. Anyway, my little melodrama. Where was I? Who died now? I had a lot of, a lot of, experienced enormous amount of death. I think enormous amount of death. Anyway, so Richard's talking to me. He's talking to me. And um, I, you know, I don't know what he said because I'm like loaded. But he told me things about himself that I would not tell my husband if I were married to him for 40 years. I would not divulge these things. And he told me these secrets about his life. And I was like, 
I didn't know that he had planted a seed in, in Alcoholics Anonymous for me. I didn't know that what I felt was trust. And you know how we are. We don't trust shit. We don't trust anybody. Ever. Because we've been betrayed. So we're like, the walls are up. We just pretend to love. Can't feel shit. Don't care. Just manipulate to get what we want, to make us feel better because we hate ourselves. Alcoholics. There it is. Boom. You want a little, you want, I, there's the description. And I don't care if you're 18 or 14 or 12 or 50. The reason, you know, I called somebody and I said, you know, I'm kind of old. <laughs> the last time I came back from Texipa, I met a friend of mine who's a circuit speaker in the airport. And I said, he said, where were you? I said, San Antonio. He said, at Texipa. I said, yeah. He said, aren't you too old to speak at those things? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Am I? <laughs> Hey, stop it. So when Anthony, I, I tried to sound kind of up and bubbly when you called, so you wouldn't, so it wouldn't sound like an old person. And then, I said, Rust, and then I sent Rusty out for the hair dye so you wouldn't see the gray. I am I'm not into image management. Anyway, okay, so back to my little drama here. So, so Richard Riley and I felt safe and... Um, I OD'd in Reno, and I was laying there, and I knew I, did, I didn't ever heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know anything. And, and, and I'm going to tell you the first time I got sober was a long time ago, 1979. And um, at least I'm out of fourth grade. And uh, I was driving back. I knew I quit my job. I knew I had to stop using and drinking. I knew it. I'm not stupid. I didn't know about it. I didn't know anything. But I started to take myself off of. I went from Las Vegas to Reno, which is nine hours away, to do a show. And I carried in my car, besides all the meth, besides methamphetamine and all the bottles and all that stuff, I carried 5,000 black beauties. And they were not to sell. They were my, for my consumption because I was afraid I couldn't find a dealer fast enough in Reno. Oddly enough, I was very able to find a dealer very quickly. So that was all for naught. I could have left 4,022 home. My habit had, I had such a huge habit at the end that I needed to know that I had a suitcase full so that I could cope. And um, I'd wake up at like, I don't know, 4.30, 5.30 in the morning and drop 35 at a time and go back to bed and then hit it again at 11. I had a huge habit. Anyway, um, so I went to my first meeting. Oh, I came back. I OD'd. My girlfriend happens to call. I'm still in the big fancy house. I lost the contract in Universal Studios because uh, they were, I was supposed to do this movie. And uh, they drove me in a limo. Haha, ha, you know what everybody wants. And the limo door opened, and I rolled out drunk. And they went, that's it. And the story, and I was out. This is what everybody wants, isn't it? This is what all everybody dreams about. Stardom and all that. And No, no. You can't. First of all, if you... If you're using and drinking and nuts, it doesn't matter if you get it. You can't keep it. There's no way you can keep this stuff. Like, you, everybody gets sober and they want all this stuff. What do you want it for? You're not going to be able to keep it. You don't have the skill level to keep it. You've got to be sober a long time, long, long time. I don't know about you. Me, just to show up for work consistently. A long time to show up for another human being consistently. A long time to be able to tell the truth. A long time. Got to do an enormous amount of service. And let me tell you something about service, too. I got a lot to say tonight. I better talk fast. Okay, so if it's convenient, 
it's not service, it's ego. If it's not convenient, you don't want to go, that's when it's service. When you're motherfucking the person as you go pick them up, it doesn't matter. That's real service. If you want to go pick them up, they're your friend. That's ego. That's not service. Do things that you hate to do. That's service. Be with people that you don't like. That's service. Being with your friends in AA, what's service? That's like fun. It's like having a good time. Anyway, um, I'm very opinionated. I know it's, it's terrible. Or not. And... Um, so I went to my first, anyway, my girlfriend called and she said to me, would you like to go to a meeting? Would you like to talk to my husband? Yes, yes, yes. He got on the phone. He said, what are you doing? I said, the, bo the boyfriend is taking me to, uh, and the boyfriend wanted to get married. He was married, but he wanted to marry me. I don't want to get married. I don't, I don't know. I did marriage once. The guy hung himself. We're not doing marriage. I've been married a lot, a lot of times. Not wanting to, too. I don't know how exactly that happened either. But anyway, um, so... I, uh, my girlfriend calls me on back. She said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to this hospital, this rehab place, this whatever it is, which I didn't even know because I didn't know about any of that. And she said, just a minute, would you like to speak to my husband? And I said, yes. And he got on the phone. And he said, Minnie, I'd like to take you to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Will you go with me? And I said, I'll go anywhere with you. And I meant it. And this was, I think, Sunday. And he said, it's Tuesday. You have to have 24 hours of sobriety. You can't drink or use anything for 24 hours so I dropped six quaaludes, went to bed for two days, got up and was sober and everybody laughed at that and you know for five years I didn't understand why that was funny I didn't, I was like well I can't just, what do you mean sleep, I haven't slept in a year I mean, you know, I got q-tips things, I got things to clean anyhow and I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous on February 27th 1979 And um, there was a guy with plaid pants, Leo, he's still sober. He said, you learn to listen, and then you listen to learn. And they said the Lord's Prayer. I never heard the Lord's Prayer. Where I hung up, people hung out, people didn't say the Lord's Prayer. I never heard it. But we held hands, and it made me weep. But unfortunately, and I loved Alcoholics Anonymous, but unfortunately, I took me. I took me there, not someone else, me. Me, on the first meeting, found him. Zoom! 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 Because that's what I do. And I found him. I found the best-looking Mr. AA, stud muffin, here we are, five years sober, and I didn't get obsessed. I wasn't obsessed with him until after I married him a year and four days later because they said, wait a year, and I want to follow directions. One year and four days later, and let me tell you about this guy. This guy was one of the most effective men in Alcoholics Anonymous. His name was Frank Madden. He was an extraordinary human being. He was a tremendous womanizer, and I didn't know it. I was the first one to feel it and the last one to know, because as smart as I think I am, sometimes I'm just a fucking idiot. And I didn't get it, because I didn't understand why he would marry me to want to be with all these other women. And then my, he would keep it from my close friends the friends that might have told me. So he was with the people in AA that wouldn't tell me, and he played it really well. And the bottom line is it doesn't matter. I wasn't prepared for it. We couldn't have made it. And he remained my close friend, and 22 months later, I was loaded. Is it his fault? Of course it's not his fault. But at 10 months, 
I was already in trouble and didn't know it. And when I had a year sober, I didn't want to go to my birthday, but I didn't tell anybody the truth. I didn't tell anyone the truth. So 22 months later, I got loaded. And anything that I've said before this means shit. It doesn't matter. Because that, my story starts when I had 22 months and I went out, and then I could not get sober, no matter what I did. I went to meetings. I said my prayers. I begged. I screamed. I did service. I could not get sober. I'd get a couple of months and get loaded. I would go to meetings and get loaded. I'd come into meetings with cocaine dripping out of my nose. I'd come into meetings drunk. I never left AA. I'm the kind of girl, I love AA. I love the steps. I love the God concept. I like you. I got no beefs with any of that. I have one problem, one little bitty problem. I don't like sobriety. I like you. I like the steps. I'll do it. I'll do anything. But I don't like the way sober feels. I don't like I don't like the pain. It says the price of admission is pain. And I'm a punk and I don't like to feel pain and I'm not willing to go through the painful process of taking that seat and going through what I have to go through. I, I'm the kind of girl, I'm a punk. I only want to feel good. You make me feel good, you get to stay in my life. You don't make me feel good, you get to fucking leave. I'm out of there. And that's how I treated AA. I put conditions on my sobriety. If I feel this way, I'll stay sober. If I get this job, I'll stay sober. If I, do, I didn't know this at the time. I was a nutbag. My friend Billy Smith's big circuit speaker called me crazy mini for 10 years. People go, people go to meetings in their pajamas. Things happen to the, you know, rocking back and forth. I didn't care. By the end, I didn't care about anything or anyone. So I got sober, and I loved AA, and I could not stay sober, and I got married. Of course, I got divorced, and la, 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 la. And my husband, that husband, that was a, that was a good friend of mine that used to pick me up and take me to treatments, you know, because we were still friends. We, were, we got divorced on the day of the divorce. We gave each other gifts. We always loved each other. That's not the issue. And my friends used to say when I got sober this last time, they used to say to me, Minnie, how does he do it? He's married to this, uh, this girl, trophy wife, really good looking. Right? Did I care that she was good looking? No. You know what I cared? She was thinner than me. Because I'm shallow. And, and this, you know, this is, the, this is the way it is. And he got married and he was married and blah, 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 blah. And I got to tell you something. I was up in Sacramento and my friends just said to me, how does he do it with all these other girlfriends and then he does all the service but he has this wife and these girlfriends and da, 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 da. And my, 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 my husband, second husband in Alcoholics Anonymous, put a bag over his head at 24 years and killed himself. So you want to play with this? Play with it. 24 years. Speaker, big member of AA, helped a lot of people. Money, property, and prestige became more important to him. He was one of the he was such a bad heroin junkie that he was the, one of the first 12 people in the United States to be put on methadone. One of the first 12. And he got sober and he got everything. But he wanted the outsides. And he started pursuing the outsides more than the insides. And my girlfriend at his funeral, and I was devastated by this. Devastated. So you have a lot of fun in these things. But this is a tough road, man.
And if it were easy, we'd be meeting at the convention center. It's hard. People say it's a softer, easier way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a price. You're sitting in that seat. It's a big price that you paid for that seat. Big price. And you haven't told everybody your secrets. There's no way you have. Not yet. It takes a long time to do that. You just, a little bit at a time, as you trust people. Anyway, so I was in and out, and this is, this is what happened to me. And this is really, this is it. Everything before is just everything before. So I'm nuts. I'm very fractured. I have a psychiatric illnesses that read borderline personality, schizophrenia, a little schizo, a little manic depression, a little, you know, a little all that stuff, alcoholic, drug addicted, la, 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 la. And uh, I went to a meeting and a woman, I went to a meeting at the Triangle Club on October 5th, 1985, and a woman I didn't like came up to me. And she said, are you okay? And I told the truth. I said, no, I'm not okay. And she said, are you going to stay sober? And I said, no, I can't. She said, do you want to? I said, I really do. I I want to stay sober, but I can't. I can't stay sober. Everybody can do it, but I can't do it. I like the people. I like the meetings. I just can't. I don't know. I leave the meeting, and a couple hours later, I'm at the drug dealer's house, or I'm at the bar. I can't. I can't stand it. I can't stand to live my own skin. It's so crazy up here. And she said, is there anybody you want to talk to? And there was a, an older guy, you know, the old timers, you know, the ones with the clear eyes that sort of flop around the clubs. <laughs> you know, and like everybody, everybody is busy and they're not, but they're like everybody's got 24 hours, but they're working on a 48-hour clock because they got time for everybody, but they still have wives and jobs and things, but they have time for everybody. I, 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 you know, I'm spinning around like a maniac and they're like, they're just, you know, sober. And his name was Don Katera. His name is Don Katera, and he was from Cleveland, and he wasn't happy-go-lucky. He was doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. And I said, grandfatherly type. And I just, something about him, I don't know. And I knew everybody in AA by that time, because when you're in and out for five years, you know. And I asked him, she said to me, I love this, she said, if you go to the meeting, I'll take you to see him after the meeting. Good. I'm glad she wasn't encoded and made me do it by myself because I would you'd have another speaker tonight. I couldn't do anything by myself. So she took me and sat me down and I asked him for ten minutes of his time and you know an old timer, he talked to me for four hours. I you know and this is what he told me. This is not gonna mean anything to you. It just means something to me. That's all. You'll be at a convention, same thing's gonna happen to you if you keep sober. If you stay sober, same thing's gonna happen to you. You're going to feel like dying. You're going to be at a meeting. Somebody's going to say something. You're the only person that can hear it. There's 3,000 people in the room. They didn't hear it. You heard it. It was for you, and it saved your life. That's why you have to go to meetings, so you can hear those things. And he sat down, and he said, Minnie, and I told him my little story, and he had been in and out for seven years, and he looked at me, and he said, Minnie, if God gives you food in your belly and a place to live, is that good enough? That's a very funny thing to ask a drunk and a junkie. If God gives you food in your belly and a place to live, is that good enough? And I was so devastated, and I was so done. I was so done. I was so tired of my own bullshit I could barely breathe around me. 
And I said, yeah, if God gives me. And I imagined, because I, I was speed freak too, so I, and tweaking, so I would imagine that I was the bag lady, but all my bags were organized. I mean, this is what I had in my head, how I was going to organize my bags, and Q-tips, where I was going to get Q-tips. No, I had, like, obsessions about them. No, nuts. Nuts. I don't know about you. Maybe you came in better. Not me. Came in, I came in nuts. Certifiable. And I said, yes, if God gives me food in my belly and a place to live, that's good enough. And he looked at me, and he took out a green crayon, and I remember, just like I remember the orange pills, he took out a green crayon and a Kino ticket, and he drew two circles, and he called one the world, he wrote W-O-R-L-D, the world, and he called one AA. And he looked at me, and he said, do you, do you live in the world and go to AA? And I said, I know he's not tricking me, because the whole time, as you can kind of tell, they don't want anything you we got. Are you kidding? We don't, it's something we have. We don't have anything for them. They sort of have it, and we don't. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I live in the world and go to AA. And he looked at me and said, you're going to die drunk. And I'm not afraid of dying drunk. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of living. I'm afraid of confronting. I'm afraid of feeling. I'm afraid of, of, of not being able to get through the day and having a meltdown and running, screaming through the streets and being institutionalized. I'm afraid that I get the information in AA, but it doesn't stick. Dying? No. Dying? No. Dying's easy. Staying sober is tough. And I said, uh, and I looked at him, I said, I knew, and I said, yeah, I live in the world, and I, and I, and I go to AA, and he said, you're going to die drunk, and it was the way he said it. I don't know how to explain that. It was the way he delivered it. And it scared for that moment. And he took out his crayon and took another piece of paper, and he did a big circle, and he put a little in the middle, and he put AA in the middle and around the world. And he, and he looked at me and he said, Minnie, from this day forward, you don't live in the world and go to AA. People like you and I have forfeited that right. Other people can do it, but people in and out, they can't do it. He said, from this day forward, you live in Alcoholics Anonymous. Sorry. And you go to the world, and you come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. You live in AA, you go to the world, you come back to AA. Do you understand that? And in that moment, my head went, click. In all the insanity, my head went, click. And I'm a punk, and I went home. And I got on my knees, and this is what happened, so I'm just going to tell you. I got on my knees, and I looked at God, and I said, listen, motherfucker, let me just tell you one thing, and let me tell you this real straight. I'll do anything, but you got to take this monkey. I can't stand it. I can't stand that obsession, that constant, constant use and drink, and use and drink, and use and drink, and use and drink, and the self-loathing, and the despair, and the heartache, and the depression. I can't stand it. But I'll do it. I'll do anything if you take the monkey, that thing that's eating my lunch every minute that's telling me to get high. You take that, and I'll dedicate my life to you. And I'm not a woo-woo girl. You know, I don't clutch crystals, and I don't go to card readings, and I don't go to people with turbans, although I think they're probably fabulous. I'm a down-and-dirty, practical member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I had a spiritual experience. And the room moved, and I saw orange, and I was like... And I didn't tell anybody because I thought, oh, my God, right? And I woke up the next day, and I haven't had a drink, a pill, a fix since that day, and that was October 5th, 1985. And I would love to tell you 
And I have a wonderful husband now, and I have a really cute golden retriever named Nudge, and I love him, and he goes on the treadmill at 3.4 for 15 minutes. Because <laughs> he's really spectacular. And I, I, didn't, I didn't catapult in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was terrified. When I had 12 years, I called one of the girls I was sponsoring, and I said, today I feel like enough. I didn't feel joyous, and, 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 and I was very rah-rah AA. I've been rah-rah AA. But when I go home at night, it took me a very, very long time to be able to come into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and not be preoccupied with my own emotional well-being. I'm a punk. I am emotionally self-indulgent. I'm preoccupied with how I feel. I called my sponsor once, and she said, Minnie, please take the emotional thermometer out of your ass and stick it on the back burner and just do what I say in AA and everything will be fine. And she was right. So there it is. That's my story. I I wish you could hear the pitch that I'm going to do tomorrow on the plane going home because that's really the one. That's really the one that's good. I'm... um, Privilege. I feel privileged to be asked to speak. I uh, feel privileged to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I could never pay back AA, what it's given to me. I'm interested in speaking to the people that are still suffering in these rooms that are sober. Um, it's not forever. It's not forever. It's not forever. But you've got to pay the price. You've got to do the steps. You've got to get a sponsor. You've got to go to a lot of meetings. You've got to swallow your pride. You've got to fucking tell the truth. And when you want to drink and when you hate everybody, you've got to speak it. You have got to speak it. And it'll change. But it doesn't change quickly. I'm sorry. I, 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 I wish it were different. And if I could give new people anything besides the gift of desperation... Besides the gift of death, if I could give you anything, I wouldn't give you a guide because you'll find one, and I wouldn't give you steps because you have to do them, and I wouldn't give you a sponsor because you'll find that. But if I could give you anything, it would be a commitment to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm going to tell you something. Without the people, I am nothing. I am nothing, I am no one, and I'm going no place. It is you who has made me. And for that, I am really grateful. Thank you.